0: Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that prides itself on tackling all the issues of the property world in a family-friendly way. Which is why we're talking about the European multifamily sector today and asking if it can weather the economic headwinds and keep its record performance so far this year going. What you are seeing generally across the
1: board is an influx of investors pushing into the residential space as they look to diversify out of other sectors.
2: What's also interesting is the sheer volume of North American investors that are making the the stretch across the pond and they've had decades more experience of this sector than than we have in Europe.
3: It's around the certainty of income and certainty of rental increases as, as, as well they know exactly what they're going to get. I'm Guy Ruddle. I'm delighted to say that I have three
0: of the brightest minds from the Savills family with me. None of whom are strangers to real estate insights. They've all been here before. Polly Simpson is head of multi-family development in the operational capital markets team. She's advised clients on the delivery of over fifty thousand multi-family and single-family homes across the UK. Polly, hello. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you too, Guy. Marcus Roberts is head of Europe for operational capital markets. He specialises not just in multi-family but also in in student Accommodation, Co-Living and Senior Housing. Welcome back, Marcus. Thanks, Guy. And Richard Valentine-Selsey is Head of European Living Consultancy and is the lead author of the European Multifamily Spotlight Report. Richard, welcome back to you. Great to be back. Right, let's get going on this. I think we probably need to start, Polly, with with a sort of an explanation of what multifamily actually is, if that's OK.
2: That's perfectly fine. Multifamily is a purpose-built rental community designed from the offset for the renter, but with professional management and single institutional uh, ownership. It should give security of tenure and also a different kind of feel of community around amenity spaces to to its residents.
0: So it's quite specific. It's, you know, it, It's not just, you know, a bunch of flats.
2: Well, a good, a well-designed bunch of flats will still be a good build-to-rent development. But there are some certain design elements that that investors and um, owners/operators look for that that should facilitate just a, a different kind of living with, with a bit more interaction from with every tenant.
0: And is there a sort of size? That you, is there a sort of minimum number of? I don't know whether you call them units. It doesn't sound very family-friendly to call it a unit, but you know. <laughs>
2: Um, there there probably isn't a minimum size. I think that planning policy defines anything over 50 units, but typically investors are looking for economies of scale. And as um, I'm sure we'll touch upon this, this, the schemes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger as investors are becoming more and more comfortable with concentration risk.
0: Okay. And Richard, just can you give us a paint a picture on the, the sort of the scale or the size of this this sector within the whole investment environment and, uh, of real estate?
1: Yeah, sure. So, Depending on where you look across Europe, you're ranging anywhere from between like five to six percent of the total investment up to about 40-50 percent plus in some of the Nordic markets. Now, what you are seeing generally across the board is an influx of investors pushing into the residential space as they look to diversify out of other sectors. And that's really driving an uptick in the overall concentration of volumes into residential spaces. And as I'm sure we'll touch upon as we go through the podcast, what we've seen is a kind of shift in the key countries that investors are looking into going into in the first half of this year compared to 2021. I think what we are seeing with the kind of economic backdrop we're in, that new markets are emerging as places that investors really
0: want to deploy capital into. Yeah. And and this this year so far, has it been a record first half of the year for investment into, the, into this sector?
1: Yeah. So we've hit 27.3 billion euros worth of capital deployed in the first half of this year, which if we look back over the last 10 or 12 years, which we've got the data for, it is the highest half one we've had on record. Now, that is a really positive sign given that halfway through the first quarter, we've had the geopolitical situation changed quite dramatically and a lot of investors paused for thought along a lot of other areas and with the inflation going up, build costs going up, there were question marks over whether or not we would see the level of investment continue to rise as 2021 was already a record-breaking
0: year as a whole. Marcus, we're talking about Europe here. Can you talk about Europe as a single entity in this market or, or are the different countries, you know, very different?
3: The European market is has been relatively two-paced. Uh, you had the more mature institutional multifamily markets of Germany, Netherlands, uh, and probably some of those Scandinavian countries uh, as well uh, that are that have sort of paved the way for, for for multifamily investment from large-scale investors and then operators. What we are seeing is a period of catch-up uh, in those less mature markets, such as Southern Europe, such as the UK and Poland, where uh, up until now, home ownership had been a key driver of uh, of, of investment into real estate by individuals or by small scale landlords. Yeah. As home ownership is starting to become uh, out of reach of many of those uh, sort of millennials and uh, young professionals, so there is far more of a focus on rental accommodation
2: particularly in the uk but um but uh, but across europe what we see is the 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 non the discretionary drivers of rental demand as well so people are genuinely choosing to to more flexible lifestyles where they're not committing all their their, their hard-earned capital to to buying a house that might not suit or buying an apartment that's, that, that might not suit their needs in years to come and they like the flexibility of the fact that their jobs might they're incredibly global and that their jobs might take them internationally and that and the renting suits that purpose
0: so let's talk a little bit then about um, the, the you know the investment environment for this. First of all, who are the typical investors in in this sort of space, Marcus?
3: Yeah, I, I mean historically, uh, it has been sort of very much sort of focused in country by large scale institutional investors. You know, some of whom are now listed on the various sort of stock exchanges, such as the likes of sort of Venovia in Germany, through to the pension funds, insurance companies like an M&G, Allianz, uh, a union investment as as such, who are now wanting to diversify their exposure to real estate away from retail office and logistics into the residential marketplace and residential being living. So from students through multifamily and co-living and then into sort of senior housing
2: yeah i think I think that's ex- exactly right. and what's what's also interesting is the sheer volume of North American investors that are that are making the, the stretch across the pond. and they've had, as you've mentioned, guy, decades more experience of this sector than 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 the, the than we have in Europe.
0: No one's mentioned PE yet,
3: or was private equity part of what the, your, your list there, Marcus? Yeah, look, I, I mean, private equity for sure. I mean, in some of those emerging markets, uh, not restricted to the emerging markets of, of Spain and, uh, and, and so on and so forth uh, at all. But uh, you know, it's all about building scale. It's it's and with private equity, they're prepared to take the, the risk to secure sites, to secure the, the bill permits build the platforms from which they can then exit at scale to these, uh, the, these new institutional investors.
0: And Richard, in terms of returns, yields and, and, and the like, what, what, what sort of levels are we talking about?
1: So, that very much depends on where you are across Europe, so I think reflecting what Marcus was saying, you look at the more well established maturer markets, and they typically have your like your lower yields. So you look at some of the German cities and your prime yields probably around that two and a quarter to two and a half, but going up towards close to four and a half when you 're moving out towards Eastern Europe, but reflecting like the level of risk that investors attached to what they 're going into and the availability of the right type of product to invest into and what they're needing to do to do it.
2: And that's a, a, a exactly true. And what we're seeing is that as markets become more established, actually people are more comfortable with the risk and therefore the yield profile then come tightens and comes in.
3: Yeah. yeah, and that's sort of underpinned by know, the chronic undersupply of uh, I think sort of purpose built accommodation uh, you know many of these investors have plied their trade in student housing as an example to to get uh, exposure to the and understand the risk around the operational occupational risk of, of, of these assets uh, and now very much very focused on the uh, the, the, the residential uh, multifamily space and is that quite a new phenomenon do you think that, that, that more investors getting more comfortable with the with the, how this market works and and, and what the risk profile is like from our view there is definitely increased competition from investors period right. uh for this uh, to get exposure to to this space and does that mean also
0: if there's competition that the that investors need to have a deeper understanding of the, from the word go because they need to be able to move faster and make assess more quickly and things like that
2: Completely. um, And let's hope they're well advised on (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Very good.
0: (laughs) So, so far, we've talked about, you know, how good the market is and how many people want to be in it and all that sort of stuff. But Richard, as you were saying earlier, there are plenty of headwinds uh, to deal with. So let's just run through a a variety of different things. So, first of all, we've talked a little bit about demand uh, for this sort of for this sort of accommodation, uh, but what is happening? What is happening? Is it ever increasing demand, and does that mean that the the, the rents that people are paying, Richard, are having to go higher and higher? Yes, I think the consistent theme, which Mark has touched upon earlier, is if you look across
1: Europe and especially within the major cities across almost every European country, is a continued lack of development and new stock coming on the market and that's not just of today that's over the last decade or so which has led to an increasing mismatch between the availability of product and the amount of people who want to access that so that's pushing not only home ownership further and further out of reach for many of the younger people in the workforce today but what is then doing is increasing the level of competition for a scarce resource of the quality rental product now what we've seen with that is that the best in class products are able to continually attract the best in class tenants and that's right. really helping to underwrite why an investor is looking at those like gateway cities as they're moving around europe
0: but re- but rent isn't uh, you know it doesn't obey the normal laws of supply and demand does it because you've only got so much income and you've only spend so much of it on 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 rent and if it carries on like that is there not a danger that across huge parts of Europe that 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 it economies and governments and everyone is saying hold on we've got to do something about this and that gets in the way. Yes
1: and I think you see that in not only the rhetoric from Sadiq Khan in London and talking around his desire to bring in some kind of rental controls but also the aborted efforts in Berlin to put in rent controls with them proven to be unconstitutional and there's a theme that we're seeing more and more across parts of Europe depending on where they are. But you've also got to remember that in lots of parts of Europe, they already have quite a lot of control over the rental increases and what they can do. And actually, that doesn't dissuade investment. It just gives someone a, bit of a certainty of what they're going to get. So,
3: as long as they know what it is
1: up front, then they can work out whether or not they're going to do something.
3: And that's uh, exactly, Richard. And I think, um, sort of coupled with that, as you say, it's around the certainty of income. And certainty of rental increases as, as, as well. They know exactly what they're going to get, and then that is reflected in the lower yield profiles that we see in sort of many of those countries. Being, I you know Germany, you know Sweden as, as as two examples, as as opposed to the UK, which is very much a free sort of market economy.
0: Yeah, because uh, you know the the capitalism, read in truth and claw, answer to to, to rent controls is it stops. You know, it stops, you know, uh, investment in the market. It stops. It dampens down supply. But you're saying that that it doesn't necessarily do that. I think that comes down to the nuance of what you're putting in in terms of
1: your rent control. And what do you really mean? Do you mean capping rents so that they can't go above a certain level and therefore you disincentivize anyone from investing anything because there's no return to be made? Or do you mean stabilising the level of income return you can generate? So if you know you're going to guarantee to get inflation linked or inflation plus, then you're not that
0: concerned about it i think we could we could probably talk for another 20 minutes on rent controls but let's let's move on and talk about other things so i've got a list of, of of potential problems for you the next one on on my list is is just the the, the state of the economy and inflation and rising interest rates you know we would when we we're talking about yields in this market of of you between two and a half percent four percent or whatever they're not massive and you don't need an awful lot of interest rate increases for you to be in a situation where you're kind of saying, well, why am I bothering with this risk when I can, you know, put my money in bonds or, 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 or what have you?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question and um, one that you won't be surprised. We're asked on a daily basis right now to get our crystal balls out and, and forecast what we think is going to happen to to the market and, and to yields. I think that, um, multifamily as an investment asset, real estate asset class, has shown itself to be incredibly resilient in the face of um, so much adversity over the last five or six years. Income returns have been strong and they've only outperformed what people originally ha- had thought, apart from those schemes that had the – misfortune to be completing during the middle part of 2020 where physically it was you, people couldn't move in um and if you look back over the last 30 years in terms of um residential just a, as just an, as an asset and look at look at that its performance versus gilts versus other real estate asset classes it consistently outperforms and and therefore i think that whilst a, a well diversified strategy might might think about government bonds as part of that it doesn't necessarily negate residential multifamily being a part of a resilient and profitable um investment
0: what about sort of the other side of that that coin, which is the you know, the increasing cost of building stuff, and including labour shortages and things like that. You know, if it's getting harder and more expensive to build, that that must be a
3: disincentive, mustn't it? Uh, correct. Yeah, I mean, there's a real sort of constrained supply coming through across Europe in terms of new build accommodation because of that, which uh, then has a, a knock-on effect on uh, values, investment values, yields, returns for built income producing assets so stuff that's already around correct the more people want the want it and the, yes yeah it,
0: it's there but does that push it, the
3: yields down on that then because they are paying a higher price for it, it It makes it no sharper yield because you know that you're not at risk of supply coming through to affect uh the uh, occupancy performance uh, of of that asset Um, so, so therefore, yeah, institutional investors uh, or other investors are sort of more readily and happily to, to look at new build plus also no office conversions as well. And it's something that we've seen across, across Europe as something that's sort of coming through to, to fill that gap of, uh, I know new build rather than something that's up, uh, no, the frame is up and they're able to reposition, uh, and reconstitute into residential.
2: Yeah, I would I would add to that that a key trend that we've seen since the beginning of um, the year um, is the the increased emphasis on counterparty. Um, so in the development world, looking for tier one contractors and developers who um, put guarantees behind uh, behind delivery, and that that actually in itself has generated a yield premium as well.
0: One last thing uh, on the sort of chan- list of challenges. Uh, Richard, in your in, in your report, you talk about and this is an astonishing figure. Uh, we're talking here about energy efficiency of buildings and things like that, ESG and all that sort of stuff. Two hundred and seventy-five billion euros is needs to be spent to improve the energy efficiency of buildings across the EU. Is it? Have you done your sums right?
1: Um, um, yes, thankfully, because <laughs> I found a report done before the European Commission to look directly at what they needed to do because. Um, As with all things, there's been a slight delay with getting 27 countries to all agree on what they need to be doing and have finally decided that by 2050 they want to be carbon neutral and they've realised that a large proportion of their current emissions come from their housing stock and their office stock. So what you're seeing here is not only a red flag of where there are potential challenges down the line, but from an investment point of view, the opportunity to come in and find ways to generate additional value in in buildings and properties you're developing or bringing on. So whether that's repositioning and repurposing existing stock or going down that much higher energy efficiency route of new builds that you put forward.
2: Yeah, I think energy um, and sustainability is an area where multifamily and multifamily investors can really make a difference to the quality of housing stock and sustainability um, objectives i think i've seen over the last 18 months but but preceding that an incredible emphasis on well entrance of green funds climate transition funds um into the sector who are really willing to to pay to make sure that they are future proofed but also doing everything they can to use green green technology and i think that that's really important Nuance that um, multi offers.
0: I'm just going to ask you all to sort of look into a crystal ball and tell me what you think. You know, you had this fantastic first half of the year for in terms of investment in this market. It very briefly, sort of in a word, is that going to continue? Is it going to stop? If it stops, when's it when's it coming back? Richard, we're going to have a slower summer and a potential comeback in this latter half of the year. Yeah. And when you say a slower summer, you you haven't got the figures for the
3: last few months yet. I, I, I appreciate that. Marcus... Very much similar. I think it's going to be, we're sitting on the fence at the moment. I think the next sort of four weeks, six weeks will really tell us a lot about institutional appetite.
2: I think I'm going to go a little bit further and say it's a bit more of a nuanced, um, uh, uh, geographically spread um, forecast, which I absolutely agree with Richard and Marcus on. But I do think some markets like the UK are are on for a record-breaking year this year, despite the economic headwinds
3: you 're absolutely right, Polly. There will be geographical nuances uh, across the European landscape, uh, you know such as those in say Poland uh, and Spain where the, the emerging markets where there are established private equity firms who are developing portfolios of scale to sort of five to ten thousand units, and they will continue to do so regardless of the I think of the the economic uh, climate uh, in the multifamily space we can't go
0: without doing uh, tell me something I don't know this little feature where you have to come up with a little nugget of information to tell me and our and our listeners something that makes us go "Ooh, that's a surprise or 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 something like that who wants to go first first. I think we should save Richard for last, because he's looking at his papers and working out which of his 400 statistics he wants to come up with. Polly, why don't you go first?
2: I'll go first. So we're myth-busting today. um, And my key stat is that um, we, we studied uh, multifamily affordability ratios and decided that actually as a kind of percentage of as a ratio of gross income multifamily is just as affordable as um, the private rented sector
0: so richard i've built you up <laughs> have a go so I'm
1: going to go back to the point we talked about earlier in terms of geographical diversification and the fact that so over the last 5 years we've seen 41% of investment into multifamily come from cross border investors and that's something we expect to see going up.
0: Well listen thank you all very much for that that's been absolutely fascinating. We may not have delved into the full depths of the detail of this subject there's so much to talk about. If you want to do that you'll find Richard's European Multifamily Spotlight Report on the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research. It's also on the Operational Capital Markets uh, website and follow Richard on LinkedIn. Uh, That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time.
2: This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.